Good evening and welcome to Outsources. I'm your host, Karen Rayforth, and this evening, Outsources is happy to welcome back Dr. Glenda Russell, an award-winning writer, researcher, psychologist, speaker, longtime LGBTQ activist, and occasionally we can get her to come back to Outsources and share some of her thoughts or point us in new directions. So welcome, Glenda. Thanks for having me. So this evening, Glenda thought it might be interesting to lay out some of the territory of what we've seen happen since we've changed presidents and some of the things that have been going on also in the broader context of our nation and world. What else is happening out there? Particularly trying to think about what's going right as well. There's a lot of toxicity out there. So we wanted to focus on a few things that are cause for some hope and for some thoughtful reflection on what we have been getting right out there. So Glenda, why don't you get us started? Let's start by providing a little context. We've seen a sea change in the Biden administration when we think about it in contrast to the Trump administration. A lot of the things that Trump did by executive order have now been undone by Biden by executive order. And that's really wonderful in a lot of ways because he's, he's made a lot of institutional and cultural changes, which are really important and really valuable. At the same time, Having presidents come in and successive presidents make executive orders and undo executive orders gets to be a little bit like a roller coaster ride for LGBTQ people. Is you know, it's a little bit like the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Things go well, then things go badly, then things go well, then things go badly. And and that's just kind of hard to keep up with. I don't see any way around that as long as Democrats generally have a positive stance on LGBTQ rights and Republicans generally have a not so positive view on LGBTQ rights. And unless we kept one office in, in, in one, one, one party in office for longer periods of time, um, we're gonna see those vicissitudes. And, and I, I want to acknowledge that they don't feel good and that they, they leave us you know, out in the cold at times and, and sometimes feeling, feeling the love. So that's, that's a piece of, I think, what we are contending with. We're on the good end of it, but uh, the warning is the good end of it might stay a while, but it won't stay long. You know, I had this fantasy the entire time the Trump administration was in office that there was some little scribe writing down everything that was anti-LGBTQ that Trump did, and they were keeping this very, very long list, and it was a long list, and that as soon as a new administration came in, all of those, all of the things on that list would be delivered to the new administration, and they'd say, okay, how do we undo this? And in fact, to to some extent, that's happened, though I haven't found who exactly who the scribe was, but I appreciate (laughs) their being there anyway. I actually had a a bit of a additional fantasy to that, which, which was wondering if within all the cabinet positions, if someone in each area was keeping track, not only on LGBTQ issues, but on all the issues that I cared about, (laughs) so that they could track like, well, wait a minute, do you realize that embedded in this law or this order was this little thing, which I know our national or federal and probably the state governments are are good at slipping in something that seems to have nothing to do yeah. with the rest of the, that's, the bill. Or- that's really true. It's really true. And I, I'm sure you're right. The nice thing is when they're in the current administration, there are actually people 
who are LGBTQ and or allies who are in those positions who are seeing it up close and personal and able to able to watch it more closely. Uh, when the previous administration was in, we were really watching from the outside. We had, well, actually I can think of one person we had who was titularly an ambassador for a few days, but I'm sure he wasn't looking for that because his politics are very different and not particularly pro-LGBTQ, despite the fact that he's a gay man. So it is, it is a tricky thing. I think we also have to think in setting this context of the fact that depending on who's in the White House, a lot of the activity goes on at the state level. So for instance, during the Trump administration, queer people made a lot of gains in states and in, and in municipalities. And right now, there are a lot of gains being made at the federal level, some of them institutional and some of them more cultural. And those gains, um, those gains certainly uh, have a profound impact. I really think they do. At the same time, there are some, there are some, there are a lot of things going on at the state levels that are pretty awful. Um, you know, and that's partly because you know who's in control in in the at the federal level says to the people who are not so positive about LGBTQ rights we've got to work at the state level and the local levels to get things mm -hmm. done. And they have been doing that. And lucky for us, we have a gay governor at this moment. Yes. In most regards, that's true. It's been estimated by, by a couple of different groups that something like 250 anti-LGBTQ bills have been introduced in 33 states this year. That's 200 and more than 250 anti-LGBTQ bills. Um, at least 25 of them have passed into law. And that's a, that's a huge statement because we had over 250, but only 10% of them had been passed into law so far. Every one of those bills that had been passed into law exerts some kind of harm on LGBTQ people, either legal harm or social harm or psychological harm. I think it's particularly important to mention that, that transgender people have been especially targeted by the, that, that wealth of more than 250 anti-LGBTQ laws. I think, I think one of the things that's happening is at least at this point, it looks like there's this move forward around LGB rights in the United States and, and the, the uh, people who are anti-LGBT rights are having a little trouble getting traction against lesbian, gay, and bisexual people, but they're having a much easier time gaining traction against transgender people. And I think part of that is because the transgender rights movement is much, much, much more recently developed. It's, I think it's also true that there are far, far fewer transgender people than there are lesbian, gay, bisexual people. And I also think that when you start messing around in people's, in people's heads about things that call into question the binary, the gender binary, people get really wigged out and people are pretty wigged out by, by trans folks. I also think though, they know they're trying to divide the LGBTQ movement and push apart, push off to the side uh, the trans part. And so far the LGBT move, the LGB movement, the members of the LGB movement, LGBTQ movement who are, who are LGBNB have been really good at not letting that happen. I say that really good lately. We have a history that, that that shows us doing something very different from that. So I'm really, it's really, I don't think 
I don't think we're going to let that happen. I really don't. So in that sense, we use the resources of the whole queer, queer and trans community to, to fight the anti-trans fervor. But that's out there and it's causing damage and it's particularly causing damage to young trans people. And obviously that's true in terms of, of hate crimes and murders and that, hate crimes, including murder and that sort of thing. But it's also true in just in terms of how young trans people see themselves talked about or not talked about. So, so there's a there's a big picture that's important as we look, as we look to what's actually been happening from this administration. Mm -hmm. So even though those laws are not ha um, being passed, and I'm not sure what's been introduced in Colorado, in many ways the problem is contextually, it's still a message that's filtering the toxic that toxicity is filtering into our state even if our state is quote unquote safer, I won't say safe. That's right. And, and, and that changes, you know, on any given day, a hate crime against, against anyone, whether they're lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender is a hate crime and it threatens people's lives and it makes people feel unsafe and it carries consequences in their heads that, that, that they have to work through and manage. So it, we can say these, we can make these broad generalizations about who's targeted, but everybody's in danger of being targeted pretty much at any time and at any place. The wearing things about any kind of um, discrimination or any kind of prejudice is it can show up when you don't expect it, and it does. Mm -hmm. The good news is there are some ways that those things are countered by other things that are coming on. And the visibility of LGBT people is really showing up all over the place. If you look at commercials on TV right now, it's, it's been amazing to me. There's been a sea change in the last two years on how many um, multicultural families, how many, um, how many families of color, how, and how many same-sex parented families are being shown on TV. It's just striking. Or maybe it's because I hadn't watched TV for years and started watching it again during the pandemic. I'm not quite sure. I think another thing, you know, we look at, you know, Time Magazine put out a thing, I think it was this week, about a record 183 out LGBTQ athletes competed in the Tokyo Olympic, Olympics. That's 183 out. Now, who, who knows how many closeted queer athletes there were at the Olympics. Um, and that included Canada's first gold medal in women's soccer included, the team included a, a, a transgender and the first, the first transgender and non-binary Olympic athlete to receive a medal of any kind. That's visible. I mean, sometimes the visibility is a little funny. I mean, I, I, I actually watched some of the diving. I was thinking Tom Daly was beginning to sound like the mascot of the Olympics. They kept talking about Tom Daly and his husband, Tom Daly and his husband and son, Tom Daly and his husband. I mean, it really, I mean people are trying and they're trying hard sometimes a little too hard and it, found, it sounds a little almost stereotypical, but that's sure better than the invisibility of not having Tom Daly there and all of his other Olympic athletes there. And that's also an important message for young uh, queer and trans people about who's in the world and what you can do. And there aren't the same kinds of limits that there used to be. I don't think it's the case that we can say there aren't any limits anymore, that's silly. There are limits, but we certainly have broken a lot of those barriers, including Tom Daly has done that and mm -hmm. thank him for that. Right, and because the Olympics attracts quite a, a broad section of the country, you know, there's a lot right. of people that are 
maybe not in the allies or even in the family distant relatives category that are learning about queer folk and and that that's always good to keep spreading that out to have more and more leaders and more and more visible good things done by queer folks. Yes, I think that's a really important point, Karen. You know, there's going to be some percentage of people who who winced every time they heard Tom Daly mentioned or Tom Daly and his husband in particular mentioned. But there's a, the what that whole thing did was, I think, on on average, is when you think about that much bigger group in the middle, it it was humanizing him and humanizing other gay men and humanizing lesbians who were on the soccer team and wherever they all say workers. I didn't watch that much of the Olympics. That's a, that's a big change. They're in your living room and they look like they're doing good things and they've worked really hard. And my God, he even made a little, knitted a little thing for his medal and stuff like that. Um, and so it's, it's, it's on, on, in the main, that's a very, that's, that's a great ad in some ways mm-hmm. for these are human beings and take a look and they look like nice people. And gosh, they worked really hard to swim that fast or run that fast. It's a dual thing because on one level, sometimes we in the LGBTQ community critique that kind of thing because it's us trying to look like the rest of everybody else. And on the other side, it is also saying, and we're different. We're the same as, and we're different. We're, it's a both, it's a both and it's not a binary concept either. Yeah. That's right. You need to be part of, you need to be seen as part of the group and you need to be seen as different all at the same time. And we're not always great at um, holding all those concepts in our heads at the same time. It's true. If you're just joining us, I'm Karen Rayforth, and you're tuned in to Outsources on KGNU. I'm speaking with Dr. Glenda Russell, a former member of the collective, who comes back and does occasional pieces with us. She's an award-winning writer, researcher, psychologist, speaker, and longtime LGBTQ activist. Let's talk about some of the things that have happened at the political level in particular. I want to, first I want to mention one other about the sort of cultural level in general, and that is just the attitudes that have changed around same-sex marriage. It's pretty hard to get people to get very riled up about same-sex marriage at this point. Even Republicans are generally a little, are generally on board. I mean, it's, it's really quite striking we have steady increases, except for one poll that showed a one-point drop, and that could just be error variance. But other polls are showing a steady kind of increase in the support for same-sex marriage among virtually all parts of the population. The biggest jump in the population has been from Black and African-American people who have gone up several percentage points in the last uh, decade or so on same-sex marriage, you know, on positive attitudes about same-sex marriage. You see some real changes on that. It's very unlikely. You know, I, I used to think that same-sex marriage could get wiped out, and I think it still could, but if it does, it's going to have to be, it's going to have to be through the court. And I don't think that that's outside the realm of possibility. But bipartisan support for same-sex marriage is really high, even when we see the state legislatures doing some of the crazy stuff that they're doing. And they are certainly trying to restrict LGBTQ rights in a lot of ways, but they're going after things other than marriage because they can't quite figure out how to do it. Gallup says, the Gallup polling folks say 70% of Americans now support same-sex marriage. That's the highest it's ever been since they started polling on this issue in 1996. 
Uh It's been a 10 point increase since 2015 when the Supreme Court ruled on same-sex marriage in in the Obergefell case. Not only is the support growing, but the opposition is declining and that's really important too. In 2007, the opposition to same-sex marriage in the US was like it's 55%. Today it's about 27%. There are only about 568,000 same-sex marriages in this country, but people have gotten used to them. Gallup says there's a quote, new consensus. And I think there is, I mean, if you look at the numbers, at least in how people talk, the, uh, the difference between how people talk, people's expression of attitudes and what their actual behavior is, those two things are not always the same, but we're certainly moving in the right direction on marriage. And I think marriage has done what some of the people who were for marriage predicted it would do, which is it's also humanized LGB people in particular for the larger community. And people are going, well, gosh, they, they do the same kinds of things we do and they have the same kinds of hassles with their kids and all of that sort of thing. And I think having politicians that are out who are in the LGB and T communities, having a cabinet member, a gay man who's married, PDB. And now a father. And now a father. So these things are inching, inching, inching the community and the, the country. And and a lot of that is the cultural stuff. And when we see those people, when we see the department, the secretary of transportation, and we see an undersecretary of Health and Human Services, Rachel Levine, a first out transgender secretary, uh, the first out transgender person um, to be confirmed by the Senate. You know, we see that sort of thing and and it it changes how people experience LGBTQ people. They're people, they're doing good things. You might agree with them, you might disagree with them, but they're smart and they're, you know, they're effective and they get things done and people listen to them and all of that sort of thing. And right now we have nearly a thousand elected U.S. officials who are LGB or T or Q. That grew 17 percent in the past year. We now have 986. That's a lot of elected officials who are doing a crime. Yeah. We have two governors, one of whom is in this state, of course, two U.S. senators, nine members of Congress, 189 state legislators, and 56 mayors. That's according to the LGBTQ Victory Institute. And of all the racial groups. LGBTQ public officials grew most among black people. That's, that's, you know, they had a 75, black public officials who are queer had a 75% increase in representation in the last year. Oh, that's huge. Mm-hmm. That's huge. I think about like Mayor Lori Lightfoot, Mayor of Chicago. Chicago. I mean, that's a rough and tumble town. <laughs> to her to hang on as an African-American lesbian at the top of that political morass that all of us know is as one of the more contentious in the country. That's pretty impressive. Yes, it is indeed. There are now <laughs> there are now more trans elected public officials than there are Republican LGBTQ um, elected officials. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it's it's happening all over the country. We have seen it not just in the obvious places people would expect, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's really, it's pretty interesting. And that visibility is very important. The visibility under that says the cultural change, people are seeing queer and trans people as you know, effective, smart, and able to make a change. And, oh, you know, they're doing that. And I don't like them, or I do like them. But they're in charge of things. And they're running state governments and 
all of that. Right. It seems like we're just getting started on this conversation, but I know you had some important other points you wanted to get out on the table for us to think about. I'll just do a couple of major headlines. I think one of the things that Biden is doing and needs to do even more is his appointments of the judiciary. We're in bad shape in the judiciary. And that's why I think the rollback on queer rights could happen much, much more through the courts than it, than it will, um, perhaps even at the, at the voting booth. Um, but he, we do have, um, uh, Beth Robertson was appointed by the Biden administration to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit. That's uh, Connecticut and New York and Vermont. Beth Robertson is one of the stalwart um, uh, same-sex marriage attorneys, and she's just done, she's really responsible. Um, well, I'm sure there was a cadre of people, but she did a lot of the arguing about the civil union law in Vermont that passed in 2000. Mm-hmm. Uh, We also have the first openly LGBT federal judge nominee for Colorado's federal trial court, Charlotte Sweeney. Um, And and both um, Senators Bennett and Hickenlooper forwarded her uh, nomination to the to the president to, you know, put Clinton put into play. You know, you've mentioned Pete Buttigieg, Chantel Wong is an is a nominee. A lot of these are still nominees because they're just coming through the cycle now. She's, an, she's the first lesbian, first out LGBTQ person of color to serve in this ambassador level position. She's, she's the US director of the Asian Development Bank. Uh, Scott Miller is now a nominee for the being the ambassador to Switzerland. He's a former finance executive. Those in Colorado will know him as a co-chair of the board of directors of the Gill Foundation. He's also mm-hmm. married to Tim Gill. Two appointees were confirmed by the Senate just last month. One is Sharon Skelly is the Assistant Secretary for Readiness. She was the second um, out trans person ever confirmed by the Senate. The first, mm-hmm. of course, being Rachel Levine. Jean Ortiz Jones, an out lesbian and Iraq war veteran, is the first woman of color to serve as the Undersecretary of the Air Force. Ruben Gonzalez, who's, at the, who's the ED, the Executive Director of the Victory Institute, says that the Biden team is building the most LGBTQ inclusive administration in US history. And I've just scratched the surface of some of the appointments that have been made. There is zillions of other things. I, <clears throat> in preparation for this conversation, I, was, um, I spent some time uh, looking at GLAD's comp- compilation of what, the, what this administration has done. A lot of it has been institutional. I mean, there are laws that have changed. Trans people can serve openly in the military, for example. People can, veterans can get transition services. Um, You know, these are things that would never have happened under the previous administration. The U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services uh, will now permit non-biological and non-gestational parents to pass the U.S. citizenship to their children born abroad as of August 5th. That's a big win for LGBTQ families. We saw two men who had a child born by a surrogate and the child was actually born in another country despite the fact that the, the men are American citizens and they got held up in the courts until the Biden administration came in and said, this isn't gonna, this isn't gonna work. So all kinds of things of that sort at the institutional level have taken place. But so is a lot of stuff at the cultural level. You know, we've had flags flown in multiple pride flags, you know, we had a pride proclamation from the White House this year. It kind of got skipped over in previous years. We had pride flags flown in many departments and pride flags were flown in many, in many, uh, in the embassies in, in, you know, stationed in many countries, including the Holy See, by the way. Just, you know, that stuff is again about the visit. 
visibility and is about normalizing who queer and trans people are. And it's just happening all over the place. Um, I'll send you a list, Karen, of some of the other things that the, that the, that, um, that the GLAD has been following. And I don't have any anticipation that this won't keep happening. I think the administration has to really get behind the Equality Act. I think, it, I think Biden is committed to it, but it's not at the top of his list. And I understand he's got a long and complicated list, but that's one thing that really needs to happen during this administration. And part of it is because that will help to stop whatever nefarious decisions um, the U.S. Supreme Court wants to make down the line if, if we are in fact included in, you know, as a, as a constitutionally um, protected group of people. That's going to be really useful when, when we have the court as it's currently composed um, doing whatever they're doing in the way of decision making. So that's why it's so, that is so important still. Yes, absolutely, without a doubt. And the other thing that's really important, I think, is we have to work on voting, voting, voting. I mean, voting is going to, if we lose, if we lose more in the way of, you know, full access uh, to voting, um, that is going to hurt the queer community as much as anything that can possibly happen. And that's why voting is a, an LTQ issue every step of the way. And a lot of my political energy right now is going into voting. Um, including, including the vote on the recall in California. Uh, if 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 Gavin Newsom loses that recall, then the person who will send, you know, and, and we have somebody who could easily resign from the Senate, um, and who has been asked to resign from the Senate from, from the state of California, and that would mean that the sitting governor of California would would select a replacement. We don't want to see that happen. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's. It's again, once again, not time to go to sleep just because you live in Colorado. <laughs> yeah. And why? Well, things may be comfortable. Enjoy it. Enjoy the comfort. Uh, and and look at the privilege you have as a result of that, and get to work on these things because we have we have you know three and a half years to really keep building and make ourselves strong no matter what happens uh, in the next presidential election. And we're going to have a real rough and tumble. Um, uh, midterm election next year. So it's a fun time. It's a fun time. Mm -hmm. And right, get on your toes and get busy. That's Not right. time to, to, it's time to get off your couch again, folks. <laughs> You've been listening to Outsources. I've been talking with Dr. Glenda Russell who uh, contributes occasionally to us on Outsources, used to be a, a regular contributor, but still comes back and gives us some thoughts, uh, things that are on her mind that she thinks we need to be considering as well. Tune in to Outsources every Monday night from 6.30 to 7, right here on KGNU, or anytime afterwards, you can get it on the news blog at news.kgnu.org, or you can always, if you forget all that, just go to the regularkgnu.org and look for outsources in the schedule. And you can get many years worth of Dr. Russell, me, and everybody else that's on the collective.